The Hamlet Podcast, episode 32. Hello, and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Connor Hamerty. We are really getting to the juicy moments now that the ghost of the dead king has started to speak. He's been a bit of a tease about purgatory, spending more time telling us what he can't tell us about it than revealing any actual details, but having commanded Hamlet's attention and our own, and confirmed his identity, he gets to the point. We have to bear in mind, too, that he doesn't have much time, but the conclusion that he does finally reach is quite shocking. He has to tell Hamlet three times to listen to him, perhaps because our young hero is so intrigued by the spirit's confirmation that purgatory is a reality that the knowing father sees his son's brain spinning and has to pull his focus back. In all fairness, it's not unreasonable that Hamlet should find all of this rather a lot to take in. Knowing that the big or bigger piece of information is still to come, the ghost insists on Hamlet's attention. List. List. Oh, list. If thou didst ever thy dear father love, revenge his foul and most unnatural murder. Here it is. There hasn't been any inference thus far in the play that there was a murder. Admittedly, Shakespeare's audience might have had the memory of that previous Ur-Ghost in the previous Ur-Hamlet screaming for revenge, but certainly we don't have that. To the person seeing Hamlet for the first time, this is a twist. It certainly explains why the poor ghost can't rest. Hamlet's reactions to the information his father is sharing now are very unusual to an ear that is used to hearing everything in blank verse. They're short and they're direct, and they almost make the rhythm of the scene take on its own character. Hamlet adds these short two-syllable words to the flow of the ghost's lines, as though trying to invent a new way of thinking or even a new rhythm for the processing of this information. He is at the limit of what verse can communicate. Even the ghost's lines occasionally have some extra syllables thrown in as well. Things are, as we will hear later on in the scene, out of joint. Hamlet's first interjection is, Oh God, understandably apprehensive, as he knows his father is leading to a revelation. And the second is a very natural response. The ghost tells him to avenge his murder. Hamlet's reply is to echo it. Murder. And since any good writer knows that good ideas come in threes, the ghost says it again. So the sequence goes, revenge his foul and most unnatural murder. 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 Most foul, as in the best it is. What the ghost is saying here is that all murders are foul, and that the best or greatest murders are the most foul. He continues laying the groundwork, but this most foul, strange and unnatural. His murder, he's hinting, was not just foul, as all murders are, but strange and unnatural. Already he's hinting that this murder was an unusual turn away from the natural order, from family, from nature. Hamlet is particularly eager to hear more, as of course are we. Haste me to know it, that I, with wings as swift as meditation, or the thoughts of love, may sweep to my revenge. Tell me quickly, he says, so that he can take the proposed revenge as quick as a thought. I have to say, I really like that Hamlet's two analogies here are, at some small level, a means of showing his father what's on his mind, or would be on his mind if he wasn't talking to his father's ghost. Meditation or love. In other words, his studies or girls. Wittenberg or Ophelia. Hamlet's thoughts are, for my money, quicker than anyone's in all of literature, so any of us could very easily miss this little insight. 
but it's a happy little Easter egg. The ghost finishes Hamlet's line of verse with an acknowledgement. I find thee apt. He's glad that Hamlet is responsive to all of this, and perhaps doesn't have his head in the clouds like he usually does, or did. I find thee apt, and duller shouldst thou be than the fat weed that roots itself in ease on Levy Wharf, wouldst thou not stir in this. Now Hamlet, here. Apart from being a rather difficult passage for the actor to speak, try it aloud if you don't believe me, this is a curious change of gear for the ghost. Having resiliently presented a possible case for the existence of purgatory, Shakespeare backtracks just a little here and has the ghost now refer to the afterlife in the version familiar to the ancient Greeks. He's glad that Hamlet is taking this seriously because he'd have to be duller than an engorged weed growing on the banks of the River Levy not to get riled up by all of this. The Levy is the river of forgetfulness in the underworld as conceived in Greek mythology. There, there are several rivers, all fascinatingly characterised, that weave through the land of the dead for the Greeks. And if you're very interested, you can get more details in the show notes for this episode on the website. The souls of the dead were required to drink from the river Levy, and thus they forgot their life on earth. Slowly their memories faded, and they were reduced to being a slow-moving, haunted shade. And indeed, our words lethargy and lethargic come from the name of the river also. Shakespeare can't resist decorating the scene here and includes a wharf on the river, perhaps to put us in mind of the ferryman Charon, who transported the newly departed souls across from the living to the dead. As for the fat weed, there isn't much of an explanation I can find, short of it being some kind of torpid, bulbous plant that thrives on water. But even our dear ghost can feel himself getting sidetracked by the description and writes his course, again demanding his son's attention. Now Hamlet, here. Tis given out that sleeping in my orchard, a serpent stung me. So the whole ear of Denmark is by a forged process of my death rankly abused. But no, thou noble youth, the serpent that did sting thy father's life now wears his crown. This is the bombshell. The word is that the king was sleeping in his orchard and a serpent stung him. But by this forged, artificial account, the whole country is rankly abused, he says. Way back in scene one, we had Bernardo talking about assailing your ears, when Shakespeare first started presenting us with images of ears and violence. He gives us another one here, saying that it's not Danish hearts or minds that are damaged by this false information, dare I say fake news, but that the whole ear of Denmark is rankly abused. It's just a quick little reminder preparing us for the explanation of how the king actually died. The Arden Third edition of the play includes an interesting nugget that Elizabethans did not know that a snake's venom was in its teeth, and that's why the king speaks of the serpent's sting rather than its bite. Of course, King Lear knew all about how sharp a serpent's tooth can be, but that's another story for perhaps another podcast. The ghost is busy unfolding his shocking tale, and is eagerly revealing detail after detail. Not only was he murdered, and not only did he not die as a result of a snake attack, but the serpent that did sting thy father's life now wears his crown. It's a deft little move here, going from the rumoured course of events to the more startling fact the snake in his garden was somebody we've already met. Hamlet, aghast, has a slightly longer reaction to this new piece of information. 
he says, Oh, my prophetic soul, my uncle. It is interesting that Hamlet uses the word prophetic here. He hasn't told anyone that he has any suspicions in this regard. He hasn't told us, the audience, and he hasn't told Horatio or anyone else. But here he's basically saying, I thought so. Certainly this explains his attitude in the earlier scene with Claudius and the court. If this is an idea that's been on his mind, even at an almost subconscious level, it's no wonder that he might be rude to this usurper that has stolen his father's throne and his father's wife. The ghost has plenty more to tell us now that he's opened this Pandora's box for Hamlet. You'll have to join me next time as we find out just what happened to his ear, what he thinks of his brother, and plenty else besides. In the meantime, there's a wealth of extra information waiting for you on the website, thehamletpodcast.com, where you can also find all previous regular and bonus episodes. And I'll have a new one for you this time next week.